I'm Josh Cooperman, and this is Convo by Design. You know, for over 50 years, the La Cienega Design Quarter has been a design destination serving LA's vibrant and extremely talented design community. This design district is special for so many reasons, not the least of which is the fact that it is on not one, but three of the most high profile and iconic thoroughfares in West Hollywood, let alone Los Angeles, La Cienega Boulevard, Melrose Boulevard, and Melrose Place. The district has seen Los Angeles change from a trendy studio town to a global creative powerhouse. And it's no secret that I think LA is one of the most relevant and important creative cities in not just the country, but the world. I think the amount and level of creative contribution in multiple disciplines makes LA a vanguard and creative icon. That doesn't happen because of a picture, building, or landmark. It happens over time, and it develops because of the people. For decades, creative types have been drawn to Southern California to reinvent themselves, and there has always been communities of like-minded individuals to both receive and nurture them. The La Cienega Design Quarter is one of the most influential, and the annual Legends event is a beautiful example of this. For the past decade, LCDQ has been welcoming the design community and enthusiasts alike to get out of their cars and walk the district to see the amazing and wonderful creations erected in the showroom windows. This was the first year that Convo by Design was represented as an official media sponsor of Legends. I, I can't tell you how cool it was for me, and I wanted to do something special to capture this showcase of remarkable talent. This is a special series called Legendary Conversations, featuring everyone involved, and this is a conversation with a living legend, Bunny Williams. Williams sat with El Decor Editor-in-Chief Whitney Robinson at the Dragonette showroom for what was a really fun conversation. Bunny had a lot to say. Topics included. It, it, didn't take a, it wasn't long, but it was jam-packed, and I could sit and listen to Bunny talk for hours. Uh, included in this conversation was the Met Gala and her opinions on that, her, the value of a point of view. Being at the top of your game, design as a service industry, saying no, gosh, that's so important, isn't it? Spending time with clients, but understanding that not all of them are your friends. How familiar does that sound? Training the eye, the Greenbrier Hotel, her love of dogs, collaboration between manufacturers and designers, Los Ateliers, Kipps Bay Decorator Showhouse, Penn and Fletcher, Good Finds, that are harder to locate these days. Her views on shopping online, passing on the knowledge, knowing when a room is finished and the value of editing, and Sister Parish, and her fondness for conflict and chaos. As you can see, a, a lot to talk about. So hang on and enjoy this conversation with Bunny Williams. I don't know how you feel about the word li living legend or the words living legends, but we'll talk about that. But when Bunny and I... Um, got on the phone to discuss this and we we get on the phone often and talk talk about the state of design we said what are we going to do it's the it's the panel to kick off uh lcdq and 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 this wonderful design week and what are we going to talk about what's our topic going to be and we both said at the same time uh sex <laughs> that is what we're going to talk about today uh it is going to be dr ruth 
and that's what we're going to talk about. No, uh, we're going to talk about design today. And where I want to start, actually, to loop around with that, is that we had talked about the Met Gala. And I wanted to know, just because we want to talk about how design is relevant to everything that's happening around us, what, uh, what you thought about the Met Gala uh, fashions that happened on, on Monday. I thought it was horrifying. Uh, actually, totally horrifying. And I, I thought it was particularly horrifying because I luckily got to go to the first Met Gala when Dana Vreeland started it. And I was working at Parrish Hadley at the time. And they asked designers to do different spaces. And we did a ballroom, the waltz room, and Billy Baldwin did the discotheque. It was unbelievable. And the most beautiful, chic people in New York all came to it. And I looked at that fiasco, and I thought, First of all, I didn't know who half those people were. They, they were wearing things that you could never, ever, they weighed 5,000 tons, they cost a billion dollars. I said, give that money to something that it needs it, not, you know, and it really doesn't do anything for fashion. I mean, um, you're not gonna wear those clothes. So I thought, what is this about? I mean, we all want to go and see things that stimulate us and that we can take a little bit of something that we aspire to. Certainly as designers, that's why we do what we do. That's how we do it. We go look at things, you take a picture. It comes in, it kind of comes into our world. And I thought that fashion thing, who's gonna wear those clothes? I mean, and why? I just couldn't understand why. I mean, one thing we talk about in design a lot, and I, I certainly talk about in the magazine, uh, is point of view. Because I think that from any perspective, whether it's fashion or whether it's food or whether it's travel or whether it's design, point of view is really important. And you've had, you know, you have strong opinions and you've had a point of view for a long time. Do you think we've lost our point of view? I mean, that point of view was, was all over the place. Or do you, how important do you think point of view is in, in design? Well, I think, I think po your point of view of when you're starting a project, you need to know where are you going with this? What is your point of view? And the point of view comes from your clients, how they live. It comes from the house you're working on. It becomes from the budget. I mean, there's every number of things that go into making a successful pro uh, uh, project. I also think that, you know, to me, and you see in my work, um, I'm about classic. I mean, I want the room that you're looking at right now. I did that room about 25 years ago. So it's not about being the trendiest or having the most, uh, the, the room that you're going to frankly get bored with in two minutes. Um, I'm about the classics. And the classics, whether it's fashion, I mean, who doesn't want a Chanel suit? I mean, look at the classics of design. Balenciaga, we could all have it today. But it's, it's when you try to, when you lose the basics and you lose the real design essence, you have a mess, I think. And, um, you know, it's, it's just very important. It's, it's very important for all of us to know our skill. And um, I think we're losing that a little bit. I think that, um, listen, we all want to have a great career. But you, you were, um, I was talking to Peter Dunham this morning, and I said, you know, the thing that's happening in the design world is because things are more available to people online, every site, we all struggle through that. As a designer, you have to be top of your game. You have to understand architecture. You have to understand furniture. You have to, you have, to have a background. And if you don't know that, you're not going to ever get 
some place to me in the design world because that's what your the client who can hire a designer demands. I mean, is it any wonder that our conversations go for hours <laughs> when we speak? I could listen to this for it's it's a true masterclass. Um, you know, it's funny. We often say in the design world that interior designers play many roles beyond mere picking paint and fabrics and 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 floor plans. Right? That often the best designers are. Uh, marriage counselors, they are uh, fashion stylists, they are electricians, and if they're handy, maybe they're even your plumber. So, you know, you, you have many skills. Do you think that's, that's a viable statement? Do you think it's more than just, you know, one, one face of, of design? Well, it, absolutely. First of all, design is a service business. If you're not willing to make a bed and get the vacuum cleaner out, you're not going to be a success. Mrs. Parrish used to say to me, you can lose a client over a lampshade. And they're absolutely right. You can do the biggest product, and if you don't deliver the lampshade on time, they, that's what they remember. So we are in a service business. Um, I think we need to understand our clients from the very beginning. I always, I've, a couple of times, I've not taken a, a job because the husband and wife came in and I knew they didn't get along. I could tell, I could tell in the first meeting that he's probably got a mistress someplace and all she wants to do is spend all his money. And I'm like, see, it got back to sex. But I'm like, I... See? I told I'm like, you. I'm not going to work for these people because you just know that it's doomed. So if I, I always... like, I had a one lady came in and she said, uh, I said, I'd like to meet your husband. And she said, uh, oh, he doesn't want to be involved. And I said, he's going to want to be involved when he writes out the checks. So I think it's very important that we meet. Well, what about just saying no? I mean, I've talked about this before, that, that the fact that, you know, it, it's, we're a, it's a service business and you want to be client-facing, you want the client to be happy, but at one point, where, how, how do you separate, you know, what makes you happy as a designer and what you think is going to make them happy and what you know is also going to make them happy, even if they don't know it themselves, right? It can be complicated. <laughs> It's complicated, but I think that, you know, you spend, you need to spend time in the beginning with your clients, talking to them, figuring out how they live, do they have children, you, you need to know a lot about your clients. And one of the great ways of learning about them is to take them shopping. You know, I came out here with a client and we had the, we just got to know each other on that trip. I took another client to Belgium to shop and all of a sudden the whole relationship changed because we were together morning, noon, and night, and she became more trusting. I realized, you know, what, how we were going to go through the process. So you need to really spend time with your clients, and, and they, I, I am frankly not one of these people that is best friends with my clients. I do not socialize with my clients. How come? Because I have a life of my own. <laughs> Um, you know, John and I love to go to the country. We love to be in the garden. I love to entertain my friends. That really, it, what I do doesn't make a big difference to them. So I work very hard. I, I said to my clients, "You have me from Monday till Friday, whenever you want me. Weekends, no." Let's talk about research a little bit too, because do you think that one thing we're seeing in design is that there's a lot of sort of insta famous interior designers and it, we talked about this. It's a topic I know that's uh, near and dear. You have some opinions on this one. <laughs> I don't I have opinions say. on anything. Anything, nothing. <laughs> um, but that this idea of, you know, the fact that what 
how you became a great decorator in the past was that you actually worked and that you had experience and that things took time. But in the world of Insta everything, you know, and becoming Insta famous, how does that change the profession and, and how do you kind of feel like we can rectify that if we need to? Well, it, it's interesting. Somebody came up to me yesterday and, and said, you know, I'm a young designer and what should I do? And I said, you should go work for somebody. You should go work for somebody who has a great firm. And they said, oh, no, well, I have my own firm and I have a blog. And, and I'm like, and I just was like, wah, wah. I want to go. That's Please. Not, would not um, say that to money. You know, I, I mean, you probably read it. I tell, tell you, I mean, I tell it in the book. But when I first came to New York and I my first job was in an antique shop. I was 20 years old. And I had to catalog the furniture. I had to catalog everything. Um, it was English antiques. But it was the best thing to train the eye. That's what we have to do, is you train the eye. I looked at furniture. That's why I know, I always say now I know how to go to a tag sale and find the wood, one good chair there, because I've looked at good furniture my whole life. And then you, when I went to work at Parrish Hadley, um, I was there about a week, and I, they asked me to take a shopping bag of samples over to an apartment on Fifth Avenue. And the butler opened the door, and there was the Picasso of the white uh, pony with the boy. And I'd studied art history, and I thought, I don't think that's the poster version. <laughs> and uh, and it was it was the the uh, Paley apartment, and the butler was so nice and said would you like to come in and I go into this living room this taxi cab yellow living room with Gauguin's and Van Gogh's hanging on the wall and I just stood there in awe and thought how will I ever know how to do this you know you're so you're so in, overwhelmed by it and luckily being at a firm like Parrish Hadley I got to go to the great houses I got to see how people lived in a beautiful way. And that's why working for an established designer, somebody who can open those doors to you, you, you never get over it. And you learn so much. You know, putting together a big house that has 20 vans of furniture, there is an art to the background of it. And working with the firm and understanding the paperwork, the billing, the whatever, made it very easy for me to start my own firm. And yeah. I, mean, I once jested, I, I can't decide whether Bunny is the uh, Meryl Streep of the design world or the Linda Evangelista, because, you know, the rumor has it that there's a hefty retainer in order to see you. Don't get out of bed for less than 10000 a day, um, which was Linda. I, you, know, I, I, you know, I said that, you know, Bunny has been probably awarded more honors um, than anybody else, but I think what's interesting is that you think about how a house is sited, you think about how the art is curated, you think about how the garden is planted, and most importantly, you think about how your clients really live and entertain or should live and entertain. Well, it, it's funny. I share this Legends Ward with my really dear friend, Suzanne Reinstein, and I've known Suzanne for years, and I think both she and I came into doing what we do because of our love of houses and living in them. Um, when I was growing up in Virginia, my family, they were very horsey and we rode and all this and they wanted me to go to Sweetbriar, which is a liberal arts college, and I kept saying, I think I'd like to be an interior designer. Uh, I had gone when I was about 14 to the Greenbrier Hotel and Dorothy Draper had just finished decorating it and my parents had some friends who had been had invested in the hotel so we got this private lunch and we got this private tour of the entire Greenbrier Hotel so for a 14 year old 
person looking at cabbage rose carpets and emerald green walls and white plaster palm trees. It was just amazing. So in the back of my head was, I think if I'm going to do something, it would be interior design. And, you know, the rest is history. But I think it's also because, like Suzanne, who grew up in the South, we grew up where people entertained. My mother thought nothing of having a dinner, as I said last night. People dropped in. You know, you lived out in the country and somebody would drive up the driveway, but you were ready. The bar well, was there. What time was the bar set? The bar, there was always, that was always set. <laughs> Virginia, I used to tell my boyfriends who'd come down to Virginia, I said, these people are Olympic drinkers. You, you do not know what it's like to start drinking a strong Bloody Marys at 11 o'clock in the morning. What so, color were they? <laughs> pink, pale pink. Pink, pink. <laughs> Big Mary. They were not red. <laughs> but, um, but it was the way we grew up, and I think that... I still want that for my clients. I want them to use their house. And we talk about it in the process. I said, put the drinks tray out. You know, figure out how you're going to live so that this just doesn't become a stage set for something. Houses get better the more you live in them. Uh, you feel it. You know, you feel the sofa that's sat down on. You see the stacks of books and newspapers. That's when a house gets interesting. I always want somebody to mess my work up. <laughs> And do you feel like clients are afraid because they've spent too much money or they, you know, they, what, what do the value thing? I think they just don't know how to live. Um, and I, I think they're, they're not confident with that, you know. They'll have these beautiful apartments and dining rooms and kitchens and they go out to dinner in New York every night. I'm like, why? No, it's funny. I'm going to go back to the Greenbrier for a second. I had an experience there as a child as well. It's like this design lodestar that has given more inspiration to everyone. I don't know if you guys have been down there in White Sulphur Springs, West Virginia, but it is a master class in, in design and decorating, right? And, and also, at the time when she did it, it was so over the top. I mean, most people in Virginia had oriental rugs and English furniture, and here was this just style that was fantastic. And that's what I mean about always going to look at everything that you can see. Go to every house museum, travel, go look. And th it's always those little bits and pieces that you come back um, that end up in your work. They end up inspiring you. People always say, when I go on a trip, they'd say, oh, I want to see your pictures of the trip. And I'm like, uh, okay, there's a picture of a floor pattern, and uh, there's a picture of, you know, some paint detail someplace. There's never any pictures of people, because I'm not, I'm always interested in the, but you print them out, and that becomes your, your sort of reference. Sure. Um, I want to know also about your relationship with dogs, because I think that there's anything that has a through line through all the houses you have, and what you and John have together, it's your love affair with dogs. I've heard a lot from your assistants about taking care of the dogs, and, but just living with dogs. It's something that's super heard, important for you. I even heard last night, I was reminded by someone who had worked for me about my assistant who had to take my dog to, um, she had, she'd had a... She'd had a stroke, and so she had to go to swim class. So my assistant had to put her bathing suit on and take her down to this pool <laughs> for physical therapy. I'm not sure that was in the job description, but she was happy doing it. Um, I, that's my that's father, what you learn at Bunny Williams. <laughs> you never know what you're going to have yeah. to do. My father raised beagles when I grew up in Virginia, and um, there were dogs. There were always dogs around the house, and I finally asked for my own dog. I said, I, do, I don't want a dog that looks like a beagle. I want my own dog. 
and I'd fallen in love with this Norfolk Terrier. So I, my first dog that was mine that wasn't a part of the Beagle Pack was a Norfolk Terrier. And I didn't, I wasn't, I couldn't have a dog for a while when I was working for Mrs. Parrish because she had these snarly Pekingese that wouldn't uh, I, I tolerate another dog in the office and I didn't want to leave it at home. So the minute I left Parrish Alley, the first thing I did was to go get a dog. And um, I've had them ever since. And now I'm much, very much into dog rescue. So our two dogs now are uh, both uh, rescue, one's a terrier. This is quite funny. I, I go on petfinders.com. I tell the girls in my office, I said, petfinders.com? I said, go on petfinders.com instead of match.com because you're going to get a much better relationship. This, whatever you meet on petfinders.com is going to be staring at you gleefully every second of the day, which is more than I can say for most people. But anyway, um, they, I, I went. I Googled it and I found this dog I wanted. And so I um, was corresponding online and the girl said, well, we have to come and interview and you see your house. I said, just Google me. I mean, there's a whole lot of information. I wrote a book about it. You really don't have to drive over here. Oh no, we have to come. So these two girls drive over one Friday night. We have to entertain them. They're sitting in the barn. I don't know what else to say. Then she said, well, we have to see the whole house. So of course we went through, we have two houses, so we had to go through the other house. So when this finished, I mean, it was so tedious. I said, well, do we pass? And she said, no, I have to call your references first. So. Anyway. Who'd she call? Who are your oh, references? Well, I gave Claire Potter and some oh, of my and friends. Suzanne. who it's And classic. Suzanne, they almost fainted when they got the phone call. But, um, <laughs> but then BB arrived. And, and John, I have to say, my wonderful husband, John, who always has whippets and only thinks these sleek, elegant dogs are the kind to have. BB arrives, and she's a six-pound fluff ball of, that's, that's Annabelle. The, uh, She's from Texas, actually. Anyway, BB comes. John looks at her, and he had just lost his beautiful whippet. And he said, um, "I said, John, she doesn't have to stay. I mean, they will take her back." And John, John wouldn't touch her. And he said, "Well, she's here. Well, she's now a growth on him." So <laughs> that's why I say these relationships are the best to have. But we love dogs. I mean, we've always had them. Um, I always worry a little bit if I have a client who doesn't like a dog. Because uh, I think that's the end of the no, that's the end but of the road you realize that something's something's up. <laughs> no cat people, take no, note. No, I love cats. Oh, cats, too. okay. Oh, I love cats. Animal Just people. Just like animals. Yeah, no animals, no no bunny. Um, <laughs> no pun intended. No pun intended. <laughs> uh, you know, I want to go back to just uh, the the idea of collaboration for a minute as well, because you once also told me that. You know, you're not necessarily, you know art, right? But you're not an art curator. You know, you love gardens and you can cite gardens, but you also work with amazing garden designers. Uh, and the same thing goes for, um, you know, antiques dealers and other collaborators you have. How important is collaboration in, in design? And not, and not knowing it, and being not, not afraid to not know it all. That's the main thing, is to know what you don't know. I mean, to be very confident. And I'm always... Uh, you know, you go in an, a shop and I want the dealer to tell me, I want to learn something for them. Um, I think that all, whether it's been the upholsterer or the curtain workroom, certainly they know how to cr make curtains better than I do, so why should I be telling them? So I think that it's the collaboration with 
um, you know, many, many people that becomes exciting. I don't like to buy expensive art for my clients. I know what I like, but I, if when you're talking about vast sums of money and investment, I'd much rather they have somebody in that field. And I'm not afraid to say that. I don't mind buying decorative pictures and things, but when it really comes down to you know, and even furniture. I mean, I often, at auction, I have people I call to go look at the furniture before I I'm comfortable buying at auction. Um, I can't see it, we buy a lot in Europe, but um, you want to you want to collaborate with other people. Collaborating with the artisans, I mean, that's what I love, is that you go to somebody that has a studio and they have a technique, and then you sit down and figure out how do you make something unique for your your projects with them and th I think that's the most fun part of our business is collaboration. Uh, let's talk about artisans for a second too and craft. I mean there was this whole I think period maybe in the 2000s where you know everyone was bemoaning the idea of the lost ateliers that we were losing them and whether it was Lesage or whether it was you know the upholsterer down the street um, in, in, the, in the you know in, in New York um, that we were losing them. Do you feel that's the case now or do you think that it's made sort of crafts made a comeback and that everybody's investing back into it and, and and, and your clients are investing back into it too. I think it's a mixed thing. I mean, I think when you when I remember when a, co a company like Scala Mandre who made all the tassels and trims for the White House and you know, it's they went out of business and they and they were in Long Island City, New York because fringes went out of style. But I think that it's I think it's coming back a little bit, maybe not in this country for textiles, but the, this year at the Kips Bay Decorator Show House, every room had some amazing craft or artisan work. I was blown over. Uh, uh, there was one room that was pieces of wood that they'd done this marquetry wall in. The plaster work, the ceilings, the, the, the paint tech decoration, it was absolutely I mean, I said, whether you like every room in this house, you have to look at the artistry. And that made me very proud that this is coming back and happening. Uh, but and it was it, across the spectrum. It was young designers, no, established no, no. designers. It, it was everyone. It was, was everybody. It. And they really, but it, it was these craftsmen that, that were there showing what they could do. There, but there are other, there's a wonderful um, company in New York that we use a lot called Penn and Fletcher. They do incredible embroidery. They embroidery for the theater. And I go out there to work on projects and they can't find the young person to come in and even work the machines to do it. And you know, that's a business that I bet you in 20 years will not be there. Are there things you can't find or you have to source globally or that you, whether it's a fringe again or something in your work well, that you can't is, find anymore? What Penn and Fletcher does uh -huh. is embroidery. So we have curtains embroidered or headboards or whatever. We come up with designs and they can do anything. I mean, contemporary, it's fantastic. But they're having a hard time with the next generation of person who even wants to try to do it. And that's what... That will be a problem. And you mentioned Belgium before, but do you think that Belgium and France and the Marché Opus are still sort of your places to go in England to, to get antiques, or are you kind of going farther afield now and, and ex exploring other places, Dominican, for instance, or South America or anywhere else? I basically do Europe, America. Um, I, you know, I haven't been to South America. I understand there are good things there, but I haven't done it yet. But it's still as strong as ever, your antiques market. It's harder. It's, it's harder? much harder. And what's I harder mean, about it? There's less good things on the market. I mean, we used to, when John and I 
used to go and you get up at five o'clock in the morning, we could load a container. And now any dealer will tell you that they probably have to make three trips, three or four trips at different markets and different times to even load a container. I don't know if I should dare ask this question, but do you shop online? Um, I'm a little scared. No, I answer, tell you, I think I, <laughs> I, I do, but I only I only go to vendors I know. I I go online because I can't. It's sometimes easier than going. Um, I'm not the best computer person, but going into everybody's site. So I go online. If I see a mirror or a table I like, then I go on. It, it's the thing that upset me about first dibs is when I couldn't know who the dealer is. You can't buy you know, something that costs $15,000 unless you've had some conversation with the dealer. So I do go online because it gives me access to great dealers out here, uh, you know, in different parts of the country. But I want a conversation with them and I want them to tell me, what's good about this? Is there something wrong? Has it been fixed? Whatever. And then I'm comfortable buying it. But it, they cannot put you, remove you from that conversation. I don't think. I mean, until there's smell-o-vision or touch-o-vision or whatever it is, I think it's really tough. We get asked this question all the time, and it's it's sort of a value proposition for us, too. It, it, these things are expensive, there's provenance, and they're a pain in the ass to ship. So that sort of trifecta, I think, is, is you know, uh, it, it, it makes online a tough market for, like, antiques, you know? Well, I think you still have to know what you're doing. Yeah. And if you, the thing, I mean, I bought a mantle for our new apartment in New York that came from Holland that I love, and it was very recent reasonably priced. I found it online. It was shipped. It arrived in one piece. But I had a conversation with this dealer and got 5,000 photographs. And, um, you know, it, wor it works. But you have to, it's hard, it, it's easier to go in the shop down the street and say, oh, I love that. <laughs> so I, I could go on like this forever. We're just a, a few more questions before we open it up to the floor. We, we were on a panel a few years ago, and it's one of my favorite ones ever. And, and we sat with uh, John and we sat with our grand decorating master friend Robert Kime and we talked about a lot of things from you know your start at Sister Parish like we talked about here to your commitment to nurture the next generation of talent which you really have put your money where your mouth is with that in nurturing the next gen of talent in your own firm can you talk about that a little bit and sort of passing the torch and and also all the people that you know you have a great we used to do the, the sort of sister the parish hadley family tree i once did but you know to think about how many people that albert and sister parish nurtured and then how you do that and pass that on to the next generation in your firm what well, I, I think it's very important i don't think anybody I don't think you should ever think that people who come to work for you are going to stay there for life. I actually hope they'll have a career, but I hope that when they go out and say that they had work for me, their clients will be getting something for that experience because um, you you learn a lot when you're doing a big project, you know, following up. I mean, follow up, 80% of interior design is the back end of it. Uh, you know, the you buy a chair. It's got to go re be moved to be refinished. You've got the organization of all that. A lamp, it it's it has to be rewired. It has a lamp chain. One stupid lamp can take five purchase orders <laughs> before it ever gets to the house because that's the kind of thing that happens. And I think that I hope that you know one of my legacies will be that there are people who've worked for me who've gone go out and have a wonderful career and that that I can give them that experience you do not get that experience in design school and that just 
doesn't happen. And it's why I think it's so important for all of us who have a firm to to feel that's part of what we're doing. Well, we talked about that too, about a little bit about what you learn in design school for what you learn on the job and what, where each is important because you know you need to know your floor plan, you need to know scale and proportion, you need to know, and you have to do your research, but where do you learn what? I mean, what do you think about design education and the state of it? Well, I think so many design schools are geared more to commercial work because that's where there are going to be more jobs. There, if you look at the whole design spectrum, the high-end residential interior design world is a very small part of the whole interior, the whole design community. Think of hotels, hospitals, senior living. Everything has to be designed. But what we do is that little small percentage of high-end residential. And that is not really taught in design school. Um, because most of the people who graduate from the school aren't going to do it in any way. You know, that's not where their job is going to be. That's why we have so many interns in New York. I mean, all the New York School of Interior Design, I always have one or two interns in our office. And they, are, they come in after school, they love to be there, and they see something, you know, I send them to the D&D &D building all the time. So they learn a lot just being, while they're going to design school, about the residential world coming to intern for us. As you can see, I could ask a million questions all day. The last one I'll, I'll say is this. The, the most pressing question I had that day at that panel I referred to was, how did you guys know when a room was finished? Because it's this ultimate question for a decorator. And, and your answer was, when we run out of money. <laughs> Not True. really. No. You know, I hope, I hope that at the end of a project with a client, that I enable them to add to what we've done. If you, if you have a room that you do and the clients are so afraid to live in it and they take a picture and they measure where the lamp is at the edge of the table, that room is always gonna have a staid feeling. And I think that I love, as I say, I love shopping with my clients. I love, I, I wanna say to them, next time you're in LA, go in that, go back in that shop, buy something, buy more china for the table, buy some placement, make your house come alive. So, you know, my house isn't finished because I don't have any more room for pictures, but doesn't mean I'm not gonna buy another one. Uh, you know, it's, not. I mean, I can't fit one more thing in, but that doesn't Let's keep, keep us shopping. Let's keep shopping, to which I say amen. <laughs> Thank you, Bonnie. Thank you, everyone. We're going to open the floor up to some questions now, because I know you guys all have some good questions for, for Bonnie. Yes? I'm really curious to know, um, in terms of your legacy and the people who have come through your office, I'm sure there's a lot of people that don't know sort of who, who has been mentored by you over the years, are there some people that you would like to say that you're proud of, that now you're sort of, your legacy's living on with in their own practices? Well, there's Meredith this year, Kathleen, uh, Miles Red worked for me, uh, there's uh, Alison Kakoma who lives out here worked for me. I can't remember them all, there's been a lot, but I'm very, uh, you know, we've, we've had great team. I must say in my office, um, whenever, if, over and this is over long years but if somebody comes in and that person isn't a good fit my office makes sure they're gone immediately <laughs> there's sort of a mafia there of don't hire this person it's not good so we have a great and it's a family we we are 
we have a great office. Bunny, what are your plans for succession? Elizabeth Lawrence, who has been working for me, she actually came in as an intern, has become a partner uh, in my firm, and uh, so and it's invaluable to me because I like seeing the next generation how they think. Uh, we are working. Um, we're developing a lot more for Bunny Williams Home, the furniture collection. So um, I hope that you know that will be uh, something that will grow and people will um, you know enjoy over a long period of time. And Elizabeth is um, very much helping uh, carry on. I don't you know it's funny. I don't know. I don't really know that a design firm should always carry on because it's really about us as the designer. Um, I, I think that Elizabeth will have her own background and maybe Bunny Williams interior design doesn't have to be there. But, and I, I'm, that's why I'm so happy the people who work for me have their own firms with their name on the door. But I'd like to leave the uh, Bunny Williams home with product and design that could carry on. Bunny, what was your favorite unexpected lesson that you learned from Sister Parrish? Something funny, something uh, silly, you know, not about scale and proportion, but you know, something crazy that she taught you. Well, she was she was a character. Um, what what was always interesting about her, um, and this probably, I not I don't not gonna. She first of all, she was one of the funniest people that ever lived in the world. I mean, she could have been a stand-up comic, and she also because she was so funny embellished every story there was. So if you would go do something with her that was sort of mundane, two days later when she's repeating the story, it's much funnier. It's half of it's made up, but it was absolutely delightful. But I, some of the things that I did learn or, or from her were actually things I didn't want to be. Um, you know, I, our office wasn't always easy. There was tension. I don't want anybody to come to my office and feel no, that they don't want to come to work. I love to go to work every single day. I want people in my office to feel that way. She liked chaos. She liked, you know, a, a, a sort of negative, to me, a negative energy. But she also had this way with clients that within 15 minutes, they, whatever she said, they would walk into the water. I mean, and I'm like, and, and it was always a way because she was so sort of understated about it. She was never arrogant to her clients, but somehow they thought, oh, what is she gonna do? And I was like, that isn't even a very good idea, but she could do that. So I, I always thought, how can I get that? Because she certainly got her clients to do whatever she wanted. But she, she was wonderful. Uh, working for both Albert and Mrs. Parrish was quite something. And oh. Insurance. We, we, carry, um, we ca and carry insurance. I mean, things do happen. So we, you need to carry an insurance. You have to talk to your insurance broker because there are those things that, um, you know, happen. We, I insist that my clients have insurance on all their good furniture, things like that. But there are these things that happen. And, um, but we, we have a big insurance policy for things like that. Thank you. In what point, at what point in your process do you consider color? 
Well, I love color, so I think about it a lot. I mean, every now and then, when you have a client who says they want an all-white room, I go, okay, but that is the hardest thing to do. I mean, that is it's much easier. Um, you know, I love color. I use a lot in my work, but I also think that you have to temper color, you know. So if I've got a very strong color that I want to use, I'm going to put with it maybe some off colors to tone it down because I think you can get a little tired of a room filled with too many primary colors. It's not that it doesn't look good in the picture, but it can become exhausting. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to, I like to, uh, I'm always playing with colors. I love just throwing different colors on the floor. I have, I have uh, plastic boxes of spools of threads of color, and I love putting them together to make color combinations. But I, I think we start with color, and you have to plan your colors through your house so that you know, if I've got a strong color in one room, the next room might be a more neutral color, but I'd like to repeat the color so there's a cohesiveness throughout the house that, um, so color is very important. And you have to understand what your color, what your client's colors are. Um, you know, some people only want beige, and some people are more adventuresome, so. Do you think that people, I oh, will play microphone switcheroo. Oh, Do you think that, um, people and interior designers are designing rooms for the Instagram picture these days and so they're picking brighter colors or they're picking bolder patterns because they photograph really well? You never thought about how a room photographed before you designed it, I assume. No, but I think what happens is that the client comes with their Pinterest pictures. I don't know about you all, but I get a book of Pinterest pictures for with a young client this big, and they're so schizophrenic because half the rooms have no color, half the rooms have bright color, half the rooms are modern, half the rooms are in a farmhouse, and I can never figure out from this folder of Pinterest pictures what do they really like. So we spend a day kind of sorting those out. But I think sometimes people see a room with a lot of bright colors, and they say, oh, I want this, and um, which is fine. Do but they mean it, though? I don't know. After they live in it for a few years, we'll find out. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes. Yes? Oh, I just thank you for your beautiful work. I love how you have such um, variation and unpredictability. And um, I have a question, though, specifically. Sorry, it sounds like it's reverberating. On your In the dining room where you have the blue and white check, dining chairs and the wall looks like they're mirrored tiles that have been painted on. Is that what they are? That is a, that's a interesting thing you picked that up. I love using, I love trying to come up with things that I've never seen before. And that room, I have in my office a silver decoupage lamp that I've had for 30 years. And it's silver with white, with white flowers pasted on the inside like decoupage. And I decided I wanted to do a decoupage room. And I, that room is started with silver Gracie wallpaper as the panels. And it, the clients have a great garden. And I bought a book of black and white engravings of 18th century botanicals. We cut them out and photoshopped them. So we ended up out of this book with, I don't, know, I don't even know how many hundreds of images of flowers that we had young art students cut out and we pasted on the Gracie wallpaper and made our own decoupage room. And it went to France, it got put on the walls, and then after it was there, we, I found the, the little quarter round wood and made the grid 
to go over top of the wallpaper. I mean, it's, it's extraordinary. And, and yet, when you have a client who gets excited about creating something unique like that, that's when it really gets fun. Thank you all so much for coming. Thank you, Bonnie. There you go. Wasn't that fun? Special thanks to Bunny Williams, Whitney Robinson, El Decor, the La Cienega Design Quarter, Dragonette for hosting. Thank you, Patrick. We're going to miss you. Cambria Surfaces, and of course, thank you for listening. Without you, what's the point? Next week, we will have another legendary conversation from the La Cienega Design Quarter. Until then, keep creating. <laughs> <laughs>